Our scripture reading today is um, from two passages. The first is in the Old Testament, and it's the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. And uh, our second passage of scripture will be from the New, the New Testament Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. I've got these verses up on the screen, and uh, if you want to follow along um, on the screen behind me, why? Uh, let me read Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. This is God's word. Well, the week before last, I spent some time doing jury duty service. And jury duty service is typically not something that people volunteer for. Uh, So, I tried to enter the experience with a positive attitude. And the judges all know that people typically don't volunteer for jury duty service, and so they, they encouraged it to be kind of a learning week for all of us. And so I kind of entered the experience thinking to myself, okay, what can I learn here uh, in this week? And, and um, I did learn this. You know, those of you who serve in law enforcement or are part of our church, and I mean, it is just, God bless you. I'm so grateful that you are fulfilling God's calling in your sphere of influence. I mean, thank you. I did learn two lessons on top of that. And the first is this. Words are optional. Words are optional. Uh, Especially if you're the, the defendant. The defendant doesn't have to talk. Did you know that? I learned how important it is throughout my term of jury duty service, that you know, the defendant is presumed innocent until proven guilty. Two judges reminded me of that. The defense attorney reminded me of that. Instructions to the jury reminded me of that. At every phase of the trial, the defendant is presumed innocent until proven guilty. And uh, you know, that was just burned into my brain. The defendant doesn't have to say a word throughout the trial. The defense attorney in the case where I sat said to our jury, I don't have to say a word in the trial. We can just sit there at the table if we want. And the presumption of innocence presides throughout the entire trial. It's the job of the prosecution to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Words are optional. Lesson number two is this. If you do speak, words matter. Uh, I mean, throughout jury duty service, 
Words dominated the entire week. Why? Victims filed police reports with words. Attorneys prosecuted and defended with words. Witnesses swore to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth with words. Guess what? When our jury deliberated, what did we use? Words. And the judge read our verdict in the courtroom using words. And in our case, a domestic battery trial, it was one three-letter word that made the difference in the life of the defendant, and it was the word not, as in not guilty. (laughs) Words matter. Words matter. Words not only matter in court. Words matter in other spheres of life, right? Words matter at the airport. Just ask John Folsom, who was with the Transportation Security Administration. Just ask John if words matter. Words can make a difference as to whether you get on that plane or whether you get to go to a courtroom. When you draw up a contract to buy or sell a home or you have an employment contract, words matter. When you apply for a job and you complete a resume, words matter, especially whether those words are spelled correctly. When nations are negotiating treaties, words matter. When you sit for your oral defense at the university, your words matter. And in this church community, the peace and health of our church family. Yes, words matter there too. And they matter at home and they matter in your marriage. Words matter. You know, this past month, uh, we have been uh, in a series called The Vow. And we've talked about some phrases in a traditional wedding vow. I take you. And we've explain what that is and what that looks like, and for better or for worse, to love and to cherish. For last week, we talked about forsaking all others. But the thought occurred to me, and that's why I'm talking about this this morning, I mean, we mustn't miss the most obvious thing, and that's that marital vows are spoken with words, and words matter. And why do words matter? Why do words matter? Words matter because because we're wordy people. That's why. We are. We're wordy. We're wordish people. Every day our lives are filled with talk from sunup to sundown, from the first, is it time to get up, to uh, I got to go to bed. It's 9.17. We talk. (laughs) We talk. We talk. We talk in the bedroom. We talk in the bathroom. We talk in the dining room, the living room, the classroom, the boardroom. We talk in the car. We talk on the landline. We talk on our cell but not during the school zone. (laughs) We text, we meet, we tweet, we friend, we message. We are people and we like talk. We like talk. We, We talk in order to learn, and when we learn something, what do we do? We talk about it. We're wordish people. 
There's, there's, there is a word hunger that drives us, and it's an, it's an inside-out kind of thing, and it's an outside-in kind of thing. Uh, our word hunger causes us from, from the inside out to want to express ourselves. I mean, even in a silly game like charades, you're, you're making all of those motions and you, you, you can't speak and you, you, you do these silly, crazy, zany things. You want to try to express yourselves. You want to get it out from the inside out. We want to be known. We want to be understood. It's an inside out kind of thing. And it's an outside in kind of thing. You see, we not only hunger to speak and express ourselves, but we also have this hunger, this, this drive from the outside in. We hunger for affirmation. We hunger for encouragement. You know, popular psychology has said, it doesn't really matter what people think about you. That's not true. That is not true that's baloney. It does matter because words matter. Deep down inside, we want, we want words to validate and encourage us and feed us because words are food. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need words. We need words. We, words matter. Words matter because we are wordish people, and the reason why we are wordish people is because we worship a wordish God. <laughs> it's true. Words matter because God made words. Words set us apart from creation, and one of the ways in which we reflect the image of God is that we speak. God has spoken, we speak. God has spoken. When God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't use his hands. He used speech. He spoke the universe into existence. Let there be. And then, after he had speeched the world into existence, God revealed himself. He revealed himself through words. When he created Adam and Eve, he didn't just create them and then hide. He revealed himself to them. He spoke to them, which means this, and you mustn't forget this. We mustn't forget this about words. Words belong to the Lord. Words belong to the Lord. Words are high and holy. And to ignore this is to take that which does not belong to me. It's to take that which is sacred and divine and to treat it recklessly. And the reckless use of the sacred, the reckless use of that which does not belong to me, will get people hurt. Which is why Proverbs 18, 21 says, words kill. Words kill. Words have power. Words kill. Words give life. Words can send people home. Words can send people to prison. 
The fact is, church family, you have never spoken a neutral word in your life. Ever. Our words, our words always move forward. Always. Our, our words are motorcycles, not cars. Unless you have a gold wing. Okay. There's no gear for reverse. There's no park. There's no neutral. They move forward They move forward toward a life or toward a death. And they move toward life and it's driven toward life through encouragement and affirmation and loving correction and kindness or they move forward to death by words of envy or hatred or racism or deceit or gossip or slander Our words are never neutral. You've never spoken a neutral word in your life. Some of the happiest, most joyful moments of your life have to do with words, right? The words of uh, an engagement to marriage, words of acceptance into school, words spoken at a wedding ceremony, the vow, the first words of a child, the happiest, most joyful moments in life come by words, and some of the saddest times in our lives have to do with words, awful words, hateful words, abusive words, and some of you, some of you heard words decades ago that are awful and abusive, and you can recite those words to me as if they happened this morning. Words have power. They kill, they give life. You choose. How have we chosen lately? How have our choices been about words of late? Would anybody here feel good about playing a public recording of all that you said in the last 30 days? Anybody here? I wouldn't. I I would not. Such a recording would reveal the truth that my world of talk is a world of trouble. And that's so, the temptation is the assumption that the solution of my world of talk and my world of trouble, the solution is just a matter of discipline. You know, when I have one of those, where did that come from moments? Well, Jesus already knows the answer to that question. It's what we read in the gospel reading, Luke 6, 45, for out of the overflow of His heart, the mouth, speaks. You see, words matter. Words matter because we are wordish people. And and our, our, our world of words is a world of trouble and hurt. And why? Well, because our word problems are really our heart problems. They're, they're really heart problems. Now, what does the Bible mean when, the, when it talks about the word heart? Well, when you read Scripture, you get a very clear truth that you know there's the, the outer person and then there's the inner person there's the the outer person is you know that your body is your earth suit 
That's the outer person. But then there's the inner person. There's, there's your mind, your emotions, your soul, your spirit, your heart. And your heart is the essence of who you are. Your heart is the causal core of your personhood. Your heart is your directional system. Your heart is your steering wheel. And Jesus Christ says that one's behavior, listen now, one's behavior is not caused by one's outside situation or one's outside relationships. It's not. Jesus says that one's behavior comes from the intersection of one's heart with one's outside circumstances and outside relationships, you see. And so Jesus says that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Now, we don't want to believe that. We want to believe that what we say and what we do is somehow conditioned by our circumstances or or other people. How many of you have ever said, I didn't mean to say that? What you should have said was, please forgive me for saying what I meant. Because if it first hadn't been in your heart, it would have never come out of your mouth. Jesus says, word problems are not vocabulary problems. Word problems are not linguistic problems. They're not technique problems. They're heart problems. Question. How's your heart? How's your heart? I didn't ask how's your marriage, didn't ask how's your family, or the kids, or your finances, or your dissertation, or your career. How's your heart? Have we ever even thought about that question? Do we even know how to think about that question? Probably not. I mean, probably not. I mean, there's bills to pay, there's life to live, there's things to do, there's task lists to complete, and who has time to monitor one's heart? But that's a very important question because there, see, we know how to monitor our behavior, don't we? Monitoring behavior and monitoring heart, two two different questions there. We know how to monitor our behavior. I mean, I'm a pastor, I know how to monitor my behavior and you know, regulate my tongue because you know, it protects my reputation and the reputation of the church and it can keep me employed. You know, I, you know, I, I, I can stay in control because you know, everybody's got to eat and live indoors. So, okay. But at some point in time, the real condition of my heart will outrun my ability to regulate my behavior. Let me say that again. At some point in time, the real condition of my heart will outrun my ability to regulate my behavior. And then I blow up. And then I say, where did that come from? Well, Jesus says, Randy, that came from your heart. That's where that came from. You know, six months into a marriage, a spouse says, I can't believe he said that to me. Or, or, or she never talked 
like that to me when we dated. You know, this is not the person I married. Well, actually, this is the person you married. The person you dated was a fake. <laughs> your, your heart, your heart will always outpace your willpower. Always. Which is why in your outlines I've included a scripture passage. I believe it's on the back page. Uh, it's, it's on the page. It's Galatians 5. Verse 13 says, Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. The flesh. What's the flesh? The flesh is that which is in opposition to the will of God. Uh, some translations use the word sinful nature. The flesh is all that God is not. The flesh, the flesh is about the kingdom of self. That's the flesh. And when my heart pumps flesh, then it fixates on self. It fixates on my wants and my needs and my feelings. And my, my, my fleshly heart causes me to obsess over what I want and when I want it and where I want it and how I want it and with whom I want it. And, and when I indulge the flesh, then my life becomes nothing more than a 24-hour-a-day I want idol factory. Because a fleshly heart, a heart that pumps flesh is really just a, a cauldron of demanding entitlement. And, and the tentacles of that just reach out into every part of my life. It does. Reaches out when I'm driving. I get impatient and irritated on the road. Champagne or Urbana, where the average commute is a whopping 14 minutes. I get out there on North Prospect, and you people are driving me crazy. <laughs> why do I? Why are you doing this to me? Why do I feel road rage? Why is it outside? No, you know it's not because of the craziness out there. It's not. It's because of my heart. Deep down in my heart, what I want is to drive on public roads paid for by other citizens who choose not to use them. That's what I want. <laughs> its tentacles reach into, into the home with parenting. Why do I get frustrated with my children? Why? Children are still up an hour after I put them to bed. You burst into their rooms. Do you know what my day's been like? Do you know? Do you have any idea what I do? I don't ask for much. I just ask for children who are from Earth. That's what I want. <laughs> I buy your food. I make your Christmas happy. <laughs> of course, you know, what do they say to that? Oh, this is helpful. This is a person of distinct wisdom. That's what they say, right? <laughs> why am I so annoyed? The reason why I'm so annoyed is because in my heart, what I want are self-parenting children. That's what I want. 
I want, I, I want Stepford children who parrot, yes, Father, of course, Father. You're all wise, Father. I, I, I'm not angry because my children broke laws in the kingdom of God. I'm angry because they broke the laws of my kingdom. And in my kingdom, no one should have to parent after 9, 17 p.m., Its tentacles reach into marriage just as much too. Why do, I get, why do I get so irritated with my wife? Why? Because she fails to speak those three all-important words. You're right, Randy. You're so right. (laughs) Of course, dear. Yes, Randy. I I bask in the glory of your rightness. (laughs) That's that's why I get irritated. I don't think I'm alone. I think Galatians chapter 5.13 is for all of us. Do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. The heart is a cauldron of corrupt flesh and unchecked. It is self-focused, self-centered. It is an antisocial idol factory. And whenever I live beneath the lordship of my flesh... It's at that point that then I begin to see other people as the deliverers of my demands. And at that point, they, know they are no longer people. They aren't. They are either vehicles or obstacles. They are either vehicles to get me what I want or obstacles keeping me from what I want. And so if I talk nicely to you, It's because I love me. And if I speak ill of you, it's because I love me. And when you are in love with you, your world shrivels to a claustrophobic black hole. And when a heart infested, a flesh infested heart rules, that's when your speech kills. And that's when you'll poison other people. And that's why Galatians 5.15 says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Words can kill. Words can crush the faith of another person. And words can leave a legacy of darkness. And church family... God, our Heavenly Father, who made words, who spoke words, and who made you to speak in His image, He did not do this so that you could live in the solitary confinement of your puny little I-want shrink-wrapped world. He did not do that so that you could reign in the kingdom of self all by yourself. He did not make you for that purpose. He made us to live in the big sky kingdom of his son. 
but we're going to have to choose. Word problems are heart problems. And heart problems have to be fixed vertically before there can ever be healing horizontally. So now what? Well, today, if your child is in preschool, your child's going to get a red envelope that looks like this. And inside is going to be the big idea of the month for your child. And so, I want to take the lesson that your preschooler is going to get and share it with us. And the lesson is this. Jesus can help you. (laughs) That's the lesson. That's the big idea. Only Jesus can heal our hearts. Only Jesus. Jesus who said in Matthew 12, 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad or its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Make a tree good. How did Jesus do that? He made, Jesus made the tree good by means of another tree. By hanging on that tree, Jesus. It was said of Jesus in John 7, 46, no one ever spoke the way this man does. No one spoke like Jesus. He, his words were perfect. His words were flawless because his heart's perfect. His heart is flawless. No one ever spoke like Jesus. And Jesus is not just a great example or a model. Jesus, the scripture says, is the word of God. Jesus is the word made flesh. John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hebrews 1 says that in these last days, God the Father has spoken to us by His Son. So so Jesus is the dictionary. Jesus is the lexicon. Jesus is the thesaurus. Jesus, the ultimate Word, redeemed us from the curse of the law, the curse of our corrupted hearts, Jesus redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us on the cross. Jesus Christ received the ultimate silent treatment on the cross. Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? See, we deserve that. We deserve the silent treatment. But Christ received it for us. And because Christ received the silent treatment for us, we can receive the words that God spoke to Jesus at his baptism. Do you remember what words were spoken from heaven at the baptism of Christ? This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In Christ, church family, we are beloved. In Christ, do you understand? God is pleased with you in Christ because of Christ. And when that good word, this is my beloved, and with you I am well pleased, when when that good word pumps through my heart, then 
I will wake up in the morning responding not with, I want, I want, I want, but with, God, thank you for loving me so much. Thank you. God, thank you so much for your love. And when your heart is filled with gratitude because of God's love, that will affect your speech. It will. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And a heart that is overflowing with gratitude for God's undeserved love. I'm telling you, when Jesus Christ is the king of your heart, he will will be the king of your mouth. He will. And when Christ is the king of your heart, you will never, ever represent yourself when you speak. Ever. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We're ambassadors now. An ambassador does not speak on his or her own. Ambassadors speak on behalf of the king. And that's who we are. We're ambassadors to our spouses. Ambassadors of Christ to our families. And when Christ is the king of your heart, we won't speak our agenda. We're going to speak the king's agenda. The king's mission. Which is 2 Corinthians 5.19. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And so our lives, you know, become one where we communicate the mission of God. I had mentioned to you about our fuel packs for our preschoolers and what you can do as an ambassador to your preschooler. Jesus can help you. If you have a K through fourth grader, uh, you, you've got a fuel pack too here. And, and the theme for this month for your child is, is courage. Courage, being brave enough to do what you should do even when you're afraid. Talk about that. Talk about that today. Be an ambassador to your child and be an ambassador to our children as we partner with our staff uh, in serving them during this hour in our children's ministries. It's because we represent the king. We never speak for ourselves. We speak for the king. We speak his mission, and we use his method too. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. It's love that compels us to speak for the king. Tender truth, tough truth, but truth that is carried by love. Words matter. We don't have word problems. We have heart problems. How's your heart? How is your heart? Better still, who is the king of your heart? Who is the king of your heart? Whose kingdom do you speak in service of? This week in your marriage, one or both of you will leave for work. One of you will say, I'll take care of dinner tonight. And you go to the refrigerator, you open the refrigerator door, you, you pull out a 
really beautiful piece of roast beef in shrink wrap. And you also pull out the slow cooker and, and you leave for work. And And, you know, you got beef on the brain. And you can even smell it on your way to work. You say, oh, you can't wait till tonight. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. And, you know, nine hours later when you get home, you walk in the front door. It doesn't quite smell like you thought. There's this burnt smell. Uh, I guess the slow cooker just wasn't that slow. And your spouse, who said, you know, they were going to take care of it, your spouse is nervous, and you sit down to eat, and your spouse mumbles off this apology and about the roast being burned and all. And, and then you open your mouth. Do you know what I do for you? I mean, I don't ask for much. I'm pretty tolerant. Do you mean to tell me you couldn't even read the directions on a slow cooker? How hard is that? I consider myself pretty easygoing, but it it would be nice every now and then to have an edible meal. Now, at that point, does your spouse want to move closer to you? We don't have word problems. We have heart problems. And if you keep on biting and devouring one another, you'll be destroyed. When you talk like that, whose kingdom are you speaking for? Why don't we replay that? You grab your spouse's hand. You say, shh. You don't have to apologize. (laughs) You don't, 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 I know that you love me. And I know that you love our family. And you had to go to work too. And with all of my quirks and with all of my annoying habits, I just find it amazing that I get to be married and I get to live with someone like you. And if all I have to deal with in my life is a burnt roast, I'm blessed. It's okay. What kingdom rules your heart? On behalf of whose kingdom do you speak? You speak for the claustrophobic kingdom of one? Or will you choose to speak for the big sky kingdom of Jesus Christ? choose.